Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Buying furniture is not easy. You want well designed pieces that fit into a modern lifestyle, yet the look should be timeless. And you want a custom experience creating furniture designed specifically for your space. My suggestion is that you check out Cozy, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture for modern living. Their high-quality products are delivered quickly and are easy to assemble. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, and credenzas. Their outdoor collection features high-quality modular sofas and sectionals made for outdoor living. You can visit their store in Toronto. Cozy now has expanded from an online market to their first in-person space, or go directly to their website at Cozy.com. That's C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com to start customizing your furniture today. You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You know, I like classic clothing that never goes out of style, and that's why I suggest you check out Quince, an online clothing store that focuses on timeless essentials at great prices. I recently bought a Mongolian cashmere sweater for under $100. It's a great sweater and a great deal. Now that warm weather is upon us, Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 bucks, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash MilkStreet for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MilkStreet to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MilkStreet. This is Milk Street Radio from PRX, and I'm your host, Christopher Kimball. Today for Thanksgiving, a few of our friends like Sola El Whaley, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, Mary Giuliani, and Stacy May Young-Fong are here to share what they're bringing to the dinner table. I'm going to be bringing stuffing to the potluck. 
Hasselbeck potato gratin. My three-in-one, no-stress pie. A drinkable centerpiece. Plus, we'll hear from Grant Barrett and Martha Barnett about the best ways to give thanks to the chef. Where I come from, sometimes you might say something like, that's so good, it makes my tongue want to slap my brains out. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'll also give a lesson in apple pie and answer your dessert questions with baker Cheryl Day. But first, it's time to take your calls about the main course with special guest co-host Jet Tila. Jet Tila is a chef, cookbook author, and Food Network personality. His latest book is 101 Thai Dishes You Need to Cook Before You Die. Jet, thanks for joining us uh, on Milk Street. Hey, Chris, always an honor. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I tend to cook everything for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I'm a control freak. Do you divide things up in your household or do you kind of get stuck with, you know, the full list? Yeah. So the last the decade, you know, we join another family uh, every Thanksgiving. And uh, so it's been really nice. I mean, previous to this, though, I had to cook. I'm like you. I want I want to make sure everything I eat in the meal is awesome or I take responsibility for any, you know, issues. So I used to cook everything. Now I am primarily proteins. I'm always turkey. Sometimes we'll throw like lamb or like a prime rib in there. And I'm always cranberry sauce because I take my cranberry sauce very seriously. And I'm always gravy. I'm almost a little OCD when it comes to gravy. So wait, wait, wait. Cranberry sauce. I found (laughs) that the recipe on the back of the bag with a little salt is actually good. Do you tart it up with like oranges and all the other stuff? My thing is whole spices. So um, as long as it's whole clove, whole allspice, and whole cinnamon sticks, and I'll take the cranberry sauce once it cools, and I'll actually put it in a vacuum bag for a few days. I feel like that little aging works, and I like it not just with the proteins, but I love it with actually um, Allie's pumpkin pie. I think it's a really nice accompaniment. Maybe I have to give up on the back of the bag recipe <laughs> after 40 years of this. <laughs> so. No, Chris, my recipe is really just kind of uh, like is zhuzhing up the back right. of the bag. Well, it's one of the few recipes on the back of a commercial product that actually works well. So, Okay, let's take a call. All right. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? My name is Colleen Gould. Hey, Colleen, where are you calling from and how can we help you today? I'm calling from Las Cruces, New Mexico. I have a question And mine is based on a Thanksgiving dinner that happened over 30 years ago (laughs) when my Aunt Paula served a turkey to me and my family that was still frozen in the middle. And I remember my mother saying that she would never, ever let that happen again if she was in charge of Thanksgiving dinner. And since then, my mom and I stressed out every year about when to take the turkey out of the freezer. And we're worried if we take it out too soon, we can make our family sick. But if we take it out too late, that entire dinner and our reputation is ruined. Oh, Colleen, I feel you on this one. Okay, yeah, uh, turkey anxiety is a real thing. I think the first thing that comes to mind is I think people are a little too precious with turkeys, right? I think the rule of thumb should be once thawed, you got like three to four days. So work it backwards. In my mind, depending on the method of thaw, if you're just moving from freezer to fridge, if you're doing the cooler, basically meaning putting the bird into a sanitized cooler and letting that water bath come up 
to thaw, it's going to take at least, I would say, one to two days. Get that bird thawed by Monday, Tuesday. Do you guys like a whole presented bird or do you like a spatchcock bird? Oh, you know, that's a great idea, spatchcocking. But we present it whole. We brine it. Oh, yeah, great. You have a huge window there. And another thing I've done in the past, too, is I like to thaw in a cooler. So I'll actually fill the cooler to a safe level over the bird with water. And I'll actually use that water and brine it. I'll put my brine ingredients, my salt, my brown sugar, maybe some citrus, some herbs. And then I'll actually let it brine and defrost all at the same time. So those are a few kind of tips in my mind. Um, Chris? Well, I guess the first question is, have you ever thought about buying a fresh bird? <laughs> because then you don't have to get a frozen one. I mean, man, I, I, got I went a, on for five minutes for nothing. <laughs> I got a farm near me in Vermont and I have a standing order. And on Wednesday morning, I rush over at 10 o'clock and get my 20 pounder and I'm good to go. That's just a thought. I mean, you you buy frozen because you want to make sure you have one in time or? A little bit of both. Fresh are hard to find around here. Oh. And so, yeah, you have to think ahead to order it. And um, I guess we just don't do that. We need to be a little bit more prepared. Good idea, though. The fast way to defrost is what Jet said, which is it's a little hard with a big turkey, but you put it in a big container and you let a thin stream of water run into the container. We do this in the kitchen all the time, you know, in Milk Street. In short order, like during a full day, seven or eight hour a day, you could probably defrost a 12 or 14 pound bird. But as Jet said, if you had it defrosted by, let's say, Tuesday, it's four or five pounds per day is the rule in the refrigerator. So a 14 pound bird, you put in the fridge Saturday, by Tuesday you're good. And then you have plenty of time to cook it and it's safe. So maybe just start it on Saturday in the fridge. I think most people are so worried about thawing the bird. I think it's all about safe eating temperatures, Colleen. So that internal thermometer, that probe thermometer, I think is absolutely way more important. There's a big window that you're very safe. Don't worry. Start thawing probably by the weekend, and you still have a huge window by Thursday. That's super. Great advice, both of those. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Amy from Heartland, Vermont. How can we help you? Okay, so Thanksgiving this year is presenting me with a few challenges that I'm deciding to look at as opportunities. I usually host my family, which is about six to eight people, and we usually get a local Vermont turkey, a pretty traditional spread, potatoes and cornbread and green beans, et cetera, pie. The tricky thing this year is that both of my children, age 10 and 14, have decided to become vegetarians. The other tricky thing this year is that my 10-year-old will be celebrating his 11th birthday on Thanksgiving. And he has made a very strong friendship with, believe it or not, an actual turkey. (laughs) Oh, man. So um, I feel like I will crush his spirit if I serve a turkey on his birthday. So this is like your old yeller Thanksgiving, right? Exactly, exactly. It doesn't end well, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, so I can't put a turkey on the table this year. But I just, I can't figure out what to serve that will be festive for a birthday as well as for the holiday. And I'm kind of at a loss to figure out what to serve. So any ideas? Well, <laughs> I do a lasagna. You know, I had one in Italy. It was a bolognese mm-hmm. ragu, a meat ragu. 
with the bechamel, mm. but the bechamel had a lot of Parmesan in it, and it was a spinach pasta. I'd sub out the meat ragu with a mushroom ragu, mm. which mm-hmm. is really good and get some great wild mushrooms. And then with the bechamel, which has a lot of Parmesan on it, and then the noodles. And they don't overdo the sauce. You know, it's not overly mm-hmm. saucy. But I think a mushroom ragu lasagna would be terrific. If you wanted one thing, that works as a centerpiece for me. And Jet's going to have something totally different, but that's my idea. I think it's important to create a centerpiece because it is Thanksgiving. And I want you to look into kabocha squash. I think most most traditional squash like pumpkins and spaghetti, they all fall apart. They basically collapse when we roast them. Kabocha squash will not if you give it a little bit of structure. And the structure that I usually do is I'll actually load a hollowed out kabocha squash with some dressing and it doesn't have to, it can be a mm. non-meat dressing. It can mm. be a rice dressing or it can be, you know, a bread dressing. It could be a root vegetable dressing. And I also think you can create a gravy like, I don't want to give brands, but there's some good vegetable bases out there or stocks that mm-hmm. will create a nice gravy. And that way maybe you make a few of these kabocha squash roasted whole. You keep the cap, right? Just like you're hollowing out like mm-hmm. a jack-o'-lantern, but you keep it and you roast it in the oven so you can cap it and you can present it and you can carve it like you would, mm. you know, a turkey. So you, you still create that festiveness here and then they can right. eat all the other sides and you also have the rest of the family who will want the typical sides as well. But I think you're, you're right. celebrating, you know, their choices and I think it's going to create a memorable Thanksgiving. For me, I'd want a roasted whole or multiple roasted kabocha squashes. You could do them ahead of time, a day before, and actually rewarm them, bring them back up to like 165 if you do fridge them oh, slowly. And I think you're good to go. And mushrooms are always, like Chris said, mushrooms are the king of umami when you can't eat meat. That's great. That's a great tip. Awesome. Yeah, well, this is really helpful. Just don't do a tofu turkey or something, okay? No. No, 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 no fake meat, Definitely please. not. Okay, I'm good. definitely not doing that. No, no. If it was between that and nothing, I would just do nothing and go straight to the pie and the cake for the meal. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for calling right. and have a good Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for your ideas. I really appreciate yeah. it. Take care. You bet. Bye-bye. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Uh, this is Robert. Hey, Robert, where are you calling from? Port of Spain in Trinidad. Wow. All right. I'm going to pull my um, maps out and while I'm doing that. So <laughs> tell us about your Thanksgiving question. We're going to be traveling for Thanksgiving and we're going to be staying at a place, which I'm not going to say, that is not going to have good cooking equipment or pretty much if you can describe a place that makes you happy while cooking, it's the exact opposite of that. <laughs> and so I was wondering if you... <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Woo! I'm thinking about just like buying store-bought items and maybe trying to jazz them up a little bit because like even having a chopping board and cutting things, it won't be fun. So I have a few tricks of my own, but like what do you do like if you just need to like make something a little bit nicer? Like with store-bought ingredients, like what are your tricks, if that makes sense? Yeah. Rob, this sounds like uh, this could get um, personal and sounds like a therapy call. I like that. We should. Uh, this is the late night version. Of- <laughs> Some Manhattans come into play later on. But <laughs> All right, Rob, I'll take a crack at it. Three things that I do. Like number one, a good gravy and a good cranberry sauce can cover 
anything up or actually make things more delicious. If you are attacking the grocery store, I think hot foods have gotten better over the years. So I'll usually grab some Thanksgiving bird and sometimes it'd be like a big turkey breast. And usually cooked turkey suffers from moisture and flavor. And that's where that gravy comes back in. I think the last trick I have is um, don't forget to use the store for garnishes. So I always get an extra bag or two of fresh cranberries and I'll line the whatever platter, like the bird platter, or I'll do a little table garnish. Um, if you're serving a whole bird with the cavity, I'll just get like big bouquets of, you know, thyme and rosemary and sage and just tie it together and stick it in the cavity. These mini pumpkins can kind of go everywhere. Allie, my wife, has already started. There's 50 of them around the house already. So it actually will cheer the room up. You know what I'm saying? So those are my kind of few shorts. Um, Chris, help us, please. Well, I, I have a transportation question, which is, are you driving there or since you live on an island, are you flying somewhere? Uh, flying. Okay. I think what I would do is, because so many restaurants now do takeouts, especially for Thanksgiving, like everybody does that now. Instead of going to the classic supermarket, I would go find a restaurant that does Thanksgivings and just find someone who's got a really interesting take, like someone from a Caribbean restaurant, for example, or, you know, Central American restaurant, somebody that's going to do something different, you know, buy it from them. I think that's great advice. I love your advice for me. I'm just not sure if my family would <laughs> would like anything non <laughs> non traditional. <laughs> but no, thank you for your advice. I think I might try to actually follow like getting like just even like a nicer bird and going down that route. There are plenty of people who do traditional stuff too, but my point is don't get it from the supermarket if you can avoid that. That's good advice. Rob, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, you guys take care. Best of luck. Jet, don't you really want to get the full story of that? Where oh he's my going? gosh. There's so many more layers there. It feels like there's so many more layers. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Thanks to Chef Jet Teeler for helping us answer your Thanksgiving queries. Right now, it's time for a Thanksgiving language lesson with Grant Barrett and Martha Barnett, hosts of Away with Words. Grant Martha, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Chris. Happy Thanksgiving, Chris. So uh, what's up for Thanksgiving this year? Well, let's say that you just finished enjoying a sumptuous Thanksgiving meal. What kind of language do you use to give thanks to the chef? And what's the best compliment you've ever received for your own cooking? Well, the best compliment in Vermont, the best compliment is silence except for the sound of eating. (laughs) (laughs) If people are scraping their plates, that's the thank you. But what if it's really, really good? Where I come from, sometimes you might say something like, that's so good, it makes my tongue want to slap my brains out. <laughs> what? Where, Martha, where do you come from? Well, I live in California right now, but I'm a proud Kentuckian, Chris. So um, yeah. really? that's where you might hear things like that. Or, or that was so good, it made my tongue want to jump out and lick the eyebrows right off my head. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, my favorite one is if it were any better, I'd rub it in my hair. So, okay, so here you are at Thanksgiving. So g- give me some pointers here. So those are some countryfied ways to compliment the food, right? And then maybe you're hanging out with some African-American folks and you hear somebody across the table tell the chef, boy, you really put your foot into it. And you might be a little confused if you're not part of that community. Mm. 
because there is the expression to put your foot in it or to put your foot in your mouth, which means to make a social gaffe. But that's not what's right. meant there. What is meant is you really did great. You put your all into the food huh. that you prepared. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. It's, it's yeah. probably from to put your best foot forward, which dates to around the 1500s. And it might be crossed a little bit with putting your foot down on the gas pedal in an automobile, you know, really giving it all you've got. And you can always go back to old-fashioned sayings, too. There's uh, something used in World War I in the U.K., that's the stuff to give the troops. (laughs) And you especially use it if you're thinking about heartiness or quantity more than you're thinking about the quality of the food. That's the stuff to give the troops. Okay, so someone serves me a piece of pie at Thanksgiving, yeah, and I take a bite of the pumpkin pie, and I say, mm-hmm. hey, that's the thing to give the troops. That's going to be like, <laughs> oh, thanks a lot, right? Yeah, it is one of those kind of not quite a compliment compliments. And Chris, I'm curious whether you, as a professional, use the, uh, the gesture, the chef's kiss. <laughs> What is the chef's kiss, may I ask? Oh, this is that stereotypical gesture that you see sometimes caricatured on Italian pizza boxes, you know, where the chef is bringing fingers and thumb together at the mouth. And then in Italian, it's albaccio, which means perfection or as good as a kiss. Um, I'm sure you get those all the time. Well, I can assure you, nobody in Vermont has ever done the chef's kiss. I mean, not that, not even remotely. Really, not even, <laughs> so, not even for a maple creamy. Now, no, the thing about Vermont is that, at least traditionally, back in the fifties and sixties, nobody ever talked about the food. It, it was like you know the end of Babe. You know that'll do, pig. You'd yeah. Be like you talk about the biscuits, that'll do. That that, that was a, as effusive as you ever got. Well, this this chef kiss is really interesting, isn't it, Martha? So there's like the French version, which is more like an OK symbol, and you kind of like pull the chef's kiss away from your mouth in both the Italian and the French version. Right. But now there's the ironic version online. Right. Yeah, just just spelling it out, spelling out the words chef's kiss, which which can be used sarcastically now. The way I think about this is you can compliment someone's wedding dress. You can say, her wedding dress was just mm, chef's kiss. And you could mean it was a haute couture masterpiece, or you could mean it was terrible. It's all really context. It sounds to me like you guys are trying to get me in trouble because you're, you're giving me <laughs> things that could go either way here. So maybe I should take your advice with a grain of salt here yeah. because nothing might be the safest thing to do, right? All right. We'll go to religion. We'll go something more formal. Okay. If you ever heard the way that French praise the wine, for more than 800 years, the French have been comparing wine to velvet. They call it velvet in a bottle, or they say it's like a yard of silk down the throat. Are, are you hanging out with very different people than I am? <laughs> well, I've never heard that, but okay. They also like to talk about baby Jesus in velvet pants. <laughs> C'est le petit Jésus en culotte de velours. <laughs> a day at the beach with a good book is baby Jesus in silk shorts. Can, can I, I just comment that we started off with how to compliment your host <laughs> at Thanksgiving, and now we have baby Jesus and I know, and silk you, shorts. But you, if you look at French books on wine, this is in there about how they compliment their wine. Okay, so so help me out here. Give me yeah. a safe way of complimenting the host at Thanksgiving. That was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had to go through five minutes of this to get to delicious. Well, you know all the good ones, Chris. Okay, okay well, let's go full circle. What was the one about the tongue and the brains? I kind of like that. <laughs> that's so good. It makes my tongue want to slap my brains out. You know, that's I'm going with that. Okay. Uh, the baby Jesus and the velvet pants, I'm not so sure about. <laughs> Great, Martha, thank you so much. Some help in praising the cooks at Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, you Chris. Have a good holiday. That was Grant Barrett and Martha Burnett, hosts of Away With Words. Coming up, Baker Cheryl Day and I will tackle your toughest Thanksgiving dessert challenges. That's up in just a moment. I'm Christopher Kimball, and now here's a word from our friends at Allagash Brewing Company, who love food as much as we do here at Milk Street. Hi, this is Jason Perkins. I'm the brewmaster at Allagash, and I've been making Allagash White in Portland, Maine since 1999. So a white beer is a very old style of beer. Traditionally, it was brewed with spices of some type, typically coriander and orange peel. And I think one of the things that makes Allagash White distinctive and different is the rare combination of complexity and drinkability. And it's sometimes remarkable to stop and realize that I never get tired of it. You know, I'll open a can or I'll pour a glass and the first sip and I'm like, man, this beer is good. (laughs) There are a lot of different ways that folks can enjoy an Allagash White. And here are some of the examples of what folks here at the brewery like to do. My favorite thing to pair with an Allagash White is simple, beautiful seared scallops over a bed of fresh greens with blood orange and shaved fennel. My favorite would probably have to be like an Italian or a hoagie, capicola, pickled vegetables, crusty bread. It's got that nice lemony, zesty character that just gets you ready for the next bite. The ultimate pairing for me is this dish called bosom, which is this like big pork shoulder with like salt and brown sugar. We also call it candy pork in my house and a little like scallion ginger sauce. It's like lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, lettuce, rice, pork, sip of white, and it's just perfection. My other top choice was like a hot dog. Like just have a hot dog and have an Allagash White. You don't need to dress it up. There's something about mussels with beer especially the white, that is just so good. I feel like it goes really well with different soft cheeses that aren't too dominant, but then also with like spicy Indian food. So I think it's just really versatile. I could imagine like something like um, like lemon meringue pie. That would be really nice. Pairing Allagash White with carrot cake is a thing of beauty. This maybe it sounds really boring, but pepperoni pizza. I feel like after a long week, having like a nice warm pepperoni pizza and a cold Allagash White is just like you made it. Like you did your week. You deserve this pizza. You deserve this beer. It's perfect in summer. It's perfect in winter. I haven't really found a flavor that I don't think works really well with Allagash White. (laughs) Yeah, so not only do I drink it while I cook, I often cook with it. So if I'm creating some kind of stew, I'll add a little bit of Allagash White to it. 
A lot of people use Allagash White in like a fried fish batter. Anywhere where you can add like a spritz of lemon or a spritz of lime, that could be the beer. We are very food-minded here at Allagash, obviously. <laughs> and I think because of that, Allagash White is kind of subtle in a way that not all beers are, and I think that makes it very food-friendly. I think it tends to unlock qualities in the food that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily notice. Like it's not too hoppy or it's not too sweet, so it sits right in the middle and sort of brings the flavors of the dish to life. If you ask anyone here at Allagash, we're pretty much all stands for this beer. We love it so much because every time you have it, you pick up something new. Every time you come back to it, you're reminded like, oh, wow, yeah, that's really good. This is Jason Perkins again. Just want to say thanks to everyone at Allagash for sharing. You can try Allagash White at home, too. Head to Allagash.com slash locator to find Allagash White near you. For 21 plus only, please drink responsibly. Allagash Brewing Company, Portland, Maine. This is Mills Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Kimball. I'm joined now by special guest co-host Cheryl Day to answer some of your Thanksgiving baking questions. Cheryl is, of course, the owner of Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah, Georgia. She's also the author of Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Baking. Cheryl, are you all ready for Thanksgiving, I hope? I'm always ready for Thanksgiving. As you know, I've got to have lots of desserts on the table, but I'm trying to come up with something a little different this year. What are you up to over there at your house? This year, actually, one of my kids, older kids, is making a sort of a cranberry German cake because she found that in an old cookbook. And so we're going to do something totally insane out of the ordinary to try that. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, I think my concept now is do the three pies, pumpkin pie, apple pie, pecan pie, and then have a fourth thing that's just totally off the wall, right, every year. Do something yeah, totally I'm different. thinking about doing like a butterscotch pudding or mm. something along those lines. But you've got to have the traditional classics. We know we love those. Butterscotch pudding, I'll go a thousand miles. You're welcome anytime. Cheryl, let's, uh, let's take some calls. Let's do it. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi there. This is Caroline. Hi, Caroline. Where are you calling from? Hi, Cheryl. I am calling from Austin, Texas. Welcome, and I've got Chris here with me. We're excited to answer your question. Well, I'm excited to ask it. Big fans of both of y'all. So my question is, I was thinking about maybe this year to do kind of a showstopper pie and maybe try to brulee the top of um, a pumpkin pie, and I didn't know if that was even possible or if y'all had any tips that maybe could help make it a success. Yes, I think that's a great idea. And I know I'm always trying to think of new ways, especially when I'm baking a pie at home to create a showstopper. So, yeah, what I would do is you want to make sure after you've baked your pie that it's obviously it's nice and cool. And have you Mm -hmm. ever done a brulee top before for anything or? I've done it in little ramekin, like for a creme brulee, but that's about I've never ventured any larger. Well, very similar. So you're going to take your sugar and you can use just a regular granulated sugar or I keep a Mm -hmm. vanilla sugar on my counter, which works really great too, just for a little extra flavor. 
and you sprinkle it on top just like you would in the ramekins. But I like to do mm -hmm. it in two parts. So you want to make sure in this case it's not too thick, but not too thin. You want to make sure you have a nice coating. Sure. And then start in, you know, bruleeing that. And then what I like to do, if you really want that shattering top, you can put another mm -hmm. layer of sugar on top and brulee it again. And, yeah, that sounds delicious. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I would just give one piece of advice. Forget about all those little sexy little mini torches they sell at cookware oh. stores. <laughs> Actually, I would buy a you know a real plumber's torch. You could get them at any hardware store. It'll last longer, probably cost you less, and it really delivers a lot more power. It's ugly, but it gets the job done. But I've, I've tried those little ones, and they're okay, but it just mm -hmm. takes forever to get it done. They don't put out enough heat. And the funny thing is those plumber's torches, I've had mine for a long time. You just have to replace the little insert, but they last mm. forever, and I don't think they're very expensive. Fantastic. No, they're not. I mean, you go to the cookware store and spend $30, $40 on one of those things. Yeah, there's definitely, I bet you can find a fun picture of Chris and I where I'm yielding that torch. <laughs> Look out. <laughs> but anyway, you can definitely do it, and it's not hard. Be careful. You have to figure out exactly mm -hmm. what distance, you know, just start out conservatively. There's power in that flame, Caroline. <laughs> sure. Good luck with that. Thank you. Appreciate the help. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for calling. calling. Welcome to Milk Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Heather from Columbus, Ohio. How are Hi, you? Hi, Heather. Good, good, thanks. So my question is about blind baking and when you should blind bake pie crust particularly for custard-based pies, such as pumpkin and sweet potato. A lot of recipes don't call for blind baking, and when I follow these instructions, I end up with very soggy right. crusts. So I'm wondering if the best practice is to always blind bake the crust, particularly for these kinds of pies. I think the answer is yes, and I'll talk about that in a second. There is a cheater method, though, which is to line a Pyrex pie plate. This is a one-crust custard pie and then bake it on the lowest rack position. And that'll help a little bit. It doesn't solve the problem entirely, but you can do okay with that. The real trick with blind baking, it's the hardest thing to do in baking, I think, or one of the hardest, is you really have to cut in the shortening of the butter fully to the flour. A lot of recipes call for pea-sized pieces of butter, etc., And that's just a disaster when you get to uh, blind baking. So in the food processor or by hand, whatever, make sure that butter is really cut in. You don't want to see any little pieces of butter because then the flour is coated with the fat, uh, develops less gluten, and it's less likely to shrink. Put it in the um, refrigerator for 40 minutes and the freezer for 20 minutes once it's lined okay. the ply plate and then go ahead and proceed with the recipe. That will also help. I use sort of a moderate oven, 375, line the plate with aluminum foil and weights. Make sure the weights go all the way up the sides. You should get like two sets of weights. And then take it off when it's about 20, 21 minutes, and then finish with a foil out. And you really want that crust to firm up before you take it out. If you take it out when it's still soft, when you bake it with the filling, it's going to slump. So you really want to make okay. sure it's dry. And that could be another four or five, six minutes. I guess that's 
my term paper, my PhD thesis. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cheryl, I, you've done this a million times. So. I have done this a million times, and I am getting high into Pisces in right now at the bakery. So, yes, I would agree. Absolutely. That is going to be the best pie, a custard pie, if you've blind baked the crust. And Chris gave you all the tips. The one thing that I will add to that to add a little extra insurance once you have your butter kind of cut into your cubes, if you toss all of those pieces of butter and flour before you start to cut it in, that's going to give you a little extra insurance. So by the time you get to the blind baking part, you're not going to, I think what Chris is trying to say, you don't want the butter to leak out or get melty or greasy. There is a point in the oven that it will kind of appear a little shiny and you want to continue until it dries out and you're kind of seeing a light golden crust. Another thing you can do is if you pull out the foil out of the pie pan, you can set the weights aside and brush a little egg wash on the bottom and then put it in. That's really good for something that's really wet. Do you think it matters using shortening versus butter? Well, you can do for both. But same thing. Yeah. You need to make sure that everything is cut in properly, coated, and same thing. You can also do that with okay. lard and butter, any kind of fat like that. The shortening or lard or vegetable shortening is a more foolproof way to make a pie crust. True. It's easier. But it doesn't have the flavor of butter. Flavor. So if you're if you're just looking for texture... Right. And a more foolproof method, I would use like Crisco or whatever. I like to mix sometimes. I, yeah, that's what I do. I do half and half. Oh. So oh, if you had idea. a typical one crust pie recipe, is one and a quarter cups of flour, all-purpose flour, and I would use four tablespoons of shortening, four tablespoons of butter. Mm-hmm. If you're blind baking, don't use uh, heavy fat-laden recipes. So some recipes will call for 10 tablespoons total per cup and a quarter. So I always use eight because that fat's going to be your enemy because it's going to make it more difficult to keep its shape. So I agree with Cheryl. Four of each would be fine. A little salt, maybe a tablespoon of sugar. And then you can see what you prefer. I've just started making all butter crust now because of the flavor, but the mix really does work well. Oh, that's a great idea. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much. This is very helpful. Oh, thanks for calling. Take care. Welcome to Mill Street. Who's calling? Hi, this is Erin calling from Easton, Massachusetts. How are you? Hi, Erin. Thank you guys for taking my call. Pleasure. How can we help you? So I have a question about pineapple upside down cake. We have traditionally always had one at our family Thanksgivings. Since my aunt passed away, I've taken on that responsibility. I unfortunately don't have access to the recipe that she always made. So over the past year, I've tried many different recipes and hers the cake had a lot of pineapple flavor and the ones that I've tried and the one that I've settled on doesn't really. And so I was wondering how I could possibly add more pineapple flavor to the cake itself. couple questions. Are you using canned pineapple or fresh? Canned. I think if you started with fresh pineapple, canned pineapple tastes cooked already. Okay. Also, you can make, I was just actually in London with Claire Patak, who has a bakery in East London. And she does upside-down cakes in loaf pans. And she makes a caramel and puts the bottom of the pan. But then she just slices fresh fruit. She doesn't pre-cook them. 
you know, in a skillet with sugar, et cetera. I think you okay. could do this with just fresh pineapple, probably fairly thinly sliced, okay. and then put that at the bottom. You could also take some pineapple juice and reduce it down as well to get more flavor. Fresh pineapple and maybe not pre-cooking it, although Cheryl's going to tell me that's a terrible idea, right? <laughs> Not true. Actually, those are really great ideas. I agree with Chris. Fresh pineapple, it's not you know that fun to always have to cut a fresh pineapple. But I tell you, these days in my grocery, in the refrigerated section, they already have the pineapple cut into the perfect size pieces that look exactly like what you would get out of a can. And I love using those. Just a word of caution, I know when I buy cut-up fruit, which I do once in a while in the supermarket, it's not ripe. Like if you get mango or papaya. Very true. I would probably buy a whole pineapple, and the way to test it is see if you can pull out, you know, from the top one of those spiny leaves. If they come out easily, then the pineapple's probably ripe. A ripe pineapple has a ton of flavor. An unripe pineapple does not. Very true. And the texture's weird, too. Yeah, yeah. So, Aaron, I'm just curious, do you add any spices or anything to the cake? Because it's such a simple recipe, so you do have to think of ways to pull out flavor with this cake. Okay. Yes. No, traditionally, I have not added anything. Okay. Well, I, in my recipe, there's a little sour cream in the cake. There's also about a fourth of a teaspoon of mace, which I love using, and it brings a lot of flavor forward of pineapple just maybe a little pinch of some spice that you like might be something to you know make it a little bit more festive for the holiday great along with the fresh pineapple i will try both of those suggestions thank you so much oh you're so welcome thanks aaron thank you take care take care bye-bye thanks to cheryl day for joining us today next up let's hear some thanksgiving wisdom from our good friend Dan Pashman. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. I'm getting ready for Thanksgiving Friday. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) I'm proposing, Chris, I've come to you today to propose that we should celebrate Thanksgiving on Friday. Um, Hear me out. Okay. I'm not saying the whole country should do it, just you and me, and a few people in the know who might be listening right now. Most other people... You know, don't listen to this part. You keep doing your Thanksgiving on Thursday. You're not going to change. It's cool. Do what you want. But here's my logic. There's a lot of fun things to do on Thanksgiving Day. Okay? Like you can watch or even attend the Thanksgiving Day parade. You can watch or even play some football with friends and family. You can go for a walk or a hike. Have the whole world to yourself. It's so quiet. It's so nice to be out doing things on Thanksgiving Day while everybody else is locked in their houses Stuff in their faces. Ah, where's this going? You're going to rob a bank on Thanksgiving because nobody's around? Or what? Look, if that's what you're suggesting here on this show, Chris, huh. you know I'll let your listeners take the lead from you. But here's the beauty of celebrating it the next day. All right, what are you, like? What are your options the day after Thanksgiving? You know, you're going to be trampled in an attempt to get a deal on a TV you probably don't need. Huh. You you make a good point that it's like one of those dystopian movies where yeah. everyone's disappeared from the earth, right? Yes, yes. The day the earth stood still or something. And uh, it, it would be kind of cool to be out and about when everybody else is at home. 
you have the world to yourself. There's no traffic. Right. You can go hiking anywhere you want. I mean, yes, obviously most stores aren't open, but like you can go anywhere and do anything and no one's going to get in your way. And then the next day when you go to celebrate Thanksgiving and you go to the bakery to get some pies, the pies are half price. Now, wait a minute. We, we Hold on a second. You can't throw in good value on one hand and on the other hand motivate people by the notion of going out and hiking by yourself. What, why are those not in line with each other? My family enjoys hiking and bargains. I know you save 15 bucks on, on pies <laughs> is what, you know, th- that's kind of a crummy reason to move Thanksgiving. But enjoying <laughs> the world as if nobody existed for a day. I don't know. That's sort of an uplifting, soulful approach, right? First off, just let the record reflect that your idea of a soulful time is a place when the rest of the world doesn't exist. You mean when everybody's dead? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. One person's dystopian future is Chris's dream. <laughs> but <laughs> That's right. Look, Chris, you, you, whichever part of this plan appeals to you, I'm not going to tell you what's right or wrong. I can tell you that speaking for me and especially for my wife, who loves a deal, the half-price pies at our local bakery are a huge draw. So we, we, we go into New York, we watch the parade, we go out to eat at a restaurant on Thanksgiving. That's another thing you can do and not bother cooking. But, hold on. You go out to eat what? At, at a restaurant for Thanksgiving? No, no. You go out to eat on Thanksgiving Day, and then you host the Thanksgiving meal at your house on oh, Friday oh, with I the half-price pies and other discounted accoutrements. Where are you going to find a restaurant open on Thanksgiving Day? Are there lots of them? There, I mean, at, at least in New York, there's a fair number. Yeah, yeah. There's they, they do spe- they do a special menu, and it's so nice. You know, it's it's relaxing, and then you, again, you have the whole world to yourself. It's 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 so great. Can I ask a question? I mean, let's get to the heart of the matter here. Yeah. What is it about Thanksgiving that stirs your soul? I mean, why do you love if you do Thanksgiving? I do love Thanksgiving. I love that it's sort of like a, it's a holiday that all people in America are welcome and invited to celebrate. And it's a, like all holidays, it brings the entire family together, but I like that it has a, a universal message that um, I think people can connect with regardless of their background. But the one thing I do love about Thanksgiving, everybody is sitting down at a table at the same day enjoying a similar meal, not everybody. But that continuity and that sort of companionship with the rest of America so you, <laughs> you're, you're going to let everybody else celebrate Thanksgiving and then go out to eat in a movie, but then you'll do it the next day? Don't you want to be part of that experience on the same day with everybody else? I don't think you quite heard me when I said half-price pies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've answered. Okay, now we know. Okay. I'm going to have to come down and cook your pies one year because you got to make your own pies. All right, I guess I guess, I guess I could do that maybe, but I, I don't know. Dan, thank you. Um, I'm not sure if that's a heartwarming sentiment around Thanksgiving, <laughs> the half-price pies. Uh, but, you know, each to his own. Dan, thank you. There you go. Thanks, Chris. Happy Thanksgiving. You too. Friday. <laughs> that was Dan Pashman. He's the host of the Sporkful podcast, also inventor of the pasta shape, Cascatelli. Coming up, Jay Kenji, Lopez Alt, Nigella Lawson, and more friends join us to share what they're bringing to Thanksgiving dinner this year. That's right after the break.
You know, I grew up with Vermont farmers who made do with tools they had on hand. A hammer, pliers, uh, and baling twine, of course, for most jobs. When I became a cook, however, I found that having just the right knife or maybe the perfect carbon steel skillet made all the difference. And the right tool also added pleasure to my cooking. I truly enjoyed my time prepping as well as cooking food. And that also goes for a car. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And that includes available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Christopher Kimball. You're listening to Milk Street Radio. You know, every year at Thanksgiving, the questions I get most often have to do with pies. Pies are probably the hardest thing anyone can make at home. Uh, so this year, we thought we would uh, assemble some of the questions. And with me is Bianca Borges, one of our editors and cooks. Bianca, welcome to the show and fire away. Hey, Chris. I've assembled questions and pies. So let's get okay. started. 
All right, let's start about the crust, obviously. That is the main thing. And while working in the butter and the flour, you've pointed out more than once that it's important for the flour to absorb some of that butter fat. Why is that? Well, recipes always say cut the butter into pea-sized pieces. That's ridiculous. What you really want to do is cut the butter most of the way in. You shouldn't see pieces of butter. A bunch of reasons for this. It'll mean the dough's easy to roll out. It means the water will not have an easy time creating gluten in the flour because it's coated with butter. Hmm. So cut it in. It's easy to work with and really the, the simplest method. All right, we've gotten the butter part covered. Everybody's usually okay with that part anyway. It's when the water starts getting added that things start to feel treacherous. <laughs> What's your go-to method? The, the, here's the problem. People are so scared of adding water that they don't add enough, which means that the dough is dry. You roll it out, it starts to fall apart, right? Yeah. Look, the most important thing about pie dough is you can roll it out and get it in the pie plate. So I say... Add enough water so the dough really holds together nicely. Otherwise, you know, you're going to give up and go buy a pie crust at the supermarket. All right, next question. Remember when a splash of cider vinegar in the dough was said to promote tenderness and keep the flavor kind of fresh? Then along came vodka, then that was hailed as even better. Thoughts on that? Yeah, they're two totally different things. Uh, Rose Levy Berenbaum, author of The Cake Bible, sort of, I think, put fourth this vinegar thing. I, I've tried it. I don't think it makes any difference. Vodka is a whole different story. Vodka is almost 50% alcohol, which means that you can use quite a lot of it up front, which means the pie dough is well hydrated and it's easy to roll out. In the oven, half of that liquid is going to disappear and it turns out a really nice flaky pie crust. So the, the vodka thing, it's really the, the best and easiest way to have a, an easy to work with dough. All right. Let's talk about the filling. Good old apple pie, all-American. You say no to cinnamon, but yes to candied ginger? Look, cinnamon is a very powerful spice. It mutes the sharp notes in almost everything, and it just takes over. So I say don't use cinnamon apple pie. Apple pie is about the apples. You want to taste the apples. Use two or three different varieties. If you want to use cinnamon, an eighth of a teaspoon, don't use any more. The the candy ginger is very bright. You know, it doesn't obscure the apple flavor. It's high notes. Uh, I would use no more than a tablespoon of chopped, crystallized candy ginger. But that's once in a while. Generally speaking, I add no spices to my pie. Salt, of course, sugar, half a cup for eight cups of apples, and let it go at that. Apple pie is about the apples. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, a pinch of cinnamon is a nice add, but letting yeah, the apples that's come fine. through. Yeah. You want a bright, fresh pie. So don't, don't add ingredients that are going to make it dull. Okay. Finally, Chris, when it comes to apple pie, naked or a la mode? I don't want anything with my apple pie. I think apple pie is nature's most perfect recipe, if done well. <laughs> I understand a la mode. I, I think it works. Uh but I, I would only put ice cream on a mediocre slice of pie. But, you know, I, I get it. it. It's a common sense, reasonable companion to apple pie. Bianca, thank you so much. I think we've probably angered half the audience here. <laughs> Pies are personal, you know. Uh, but there's a couple of good tricks here, and hopefully we've answered a few of the questions people have on Thanksgiving about pie making. Bianca, thank you. Thank you, Chris. So if you'd like more tips on pie making or just to review what we just talked about, please go to MillStreetRadio.com. 
this year for Thanksgiving, I wondered, what if we brought together some of the great chefs and authors in food, and we invite them to share their favorite Thanksgiving dishes? What would a Milk Street Radio potluck taste like? Hello, this is Sola El Whaley, and this Thanksgiving, I'm going to be bringing stuffing to the potluck. Growing up, we always made it out of the box, so today... Even though I make it from scratch, it's heavily inspired by box stuffing. I like to start by getting a really good loaf of bread and then season it with butter or olive oil and lots of dry seasonings. And then saute up some onion, garlic, apples, a little celery, carrot, and a lot of fresh sage. I mix it up with my croutons along with some high quality chicken bone broth, a little bit of cream for richness, some melted butter, and it's going to be delicious. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, everyone. This is Kenji Lopez-Alt. I'm the author of The Food Lab and The Walk. And this year for Thanksgiving, I'm bringing my Hasselback potato gratin. This dish is essentially a classic French-style potato gratin with cream and potatoes layered. But instead of layering the potatoes flat, you kind of stick them up on their sides so that the edges poke up. So what you end up with is this dish that's kind of crispy on the top and a really sort of comforting creamy, tender bottom layer. So that's my Hasselback potato gratin, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Happy Thanksgiving. This is Meathead from AmazingRibs.com. For about 30 years now, my wife and I have been going over the river and through the woods to our brother's house for Thanksgiving. He roasts the turkey the Norman Rockwell style in the oven, and I bring a smoked bird. You know which one disappears the fastest. It's pretty easy to do a smoked turkey on any grill, and I'm not gonna go through all the details of the meathead method and my killer gravy here, but trust me, it's worth it. And the best part is, it leaves room in the oven for more pies. Hey there, it's Mary Giuliani. I'll tell you how to make a lot of friends at your Thanksgiving potluck this year, and that's by bringing my favorite thing, a drinkable centerpiece. Take a punch bowl, put it right in the center of the table where that floral arrangement should probably be going, and you fill it up with my favorite Thanksgiving drink. It's called the Tipsy Turkey. You take a gallon of apple cider, a bottle of bourbon, agave syrup, cinnamon sugar, add some sliced apples and whole cranberries to give it a little bit more of a look, and I'll tell you something, it will make for a very lively Thanksgiving celebration. Hey y'all, this is Stacy Man Fong of 50 Pies, 50 States. I did not grow up celebrating Thanksgiving in Hong Kong, but since I've moved to America, I am at one of my friend's family's Thanksgiving tables every year, and I couldn't be more thankful. But this year for Thanksgiving, I'm gonna bring my three-in-one no-stress pie, which is a pumpkin pie with an apple butter swirl and a candied pecan top. Because Thanksgiving is about eating elastic waistbands and napping on the couch with the ones you love, and not really about being a stress mess in the kitchen. Thanks for sharing your Thanksgiving dishes with us. Sola El Whaley, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, Mary Giuliani, Meathead, and Stacy May Young Fong. It also wouldn't be Thanksgiving without a little perspective from a very special guest. 
Hi there, it's Nigella Lawson. I am fascinated with Thanksgiving. I always feel a bit nervous about talking about it because, of course, in a way, one of the things it, it celebrates is getting shot of us lot. So it's not my party. But, you know, I've often said it's in a way what you could call a meta-feast, which it's, it's a feast that celebrates the good fortune of feasting. I can't think offhand of any other holiday that is quite so much about reaching arms around a table. And for that, I'm envious and I'm admiring. And I hope you all have the most wonderful Thanksgiving. A special thanks to Nigella Lawson. And now for my contribution to the potluck, something simple, whole wheat soda bread. As many of you know, I grew up summers in a small Vermont town. The mainstay of noon dinner, always served at the Yellow Farmhouse, was homemade bread and butter. The bread was baked in a wood cook stove. The butter was the cow out back. You know, soda bread appeals because it really isn't every man's recipe. In Ireland, it's made with whole wheat flour, white flour, wheat germ bran, and it's moistened with buttermilk. So, yeah, I buy a locally grown turkey, I braise it, I make three kinds of pies, but every year it's the soda bread that really lingers in the memory. It's a country recipe that reminds me of the pleasures of the simplest foods, which are, of course, bread and butter. That's it for today. You can find full recipes from all of our potluck guests at MilkStreetRadio.com. There you can also listen to every episode of the show. To explore Milk Street and everything we have to offer this holiday season, please go to 177MilkStreet.com. There you can become a member and get full access to every recipe, free standard shipping from the Milk Street store, and more. You can also find us on Facebook at Christopher Kimball's Milk Street, on Instagram and Twitter at 177 Milk Street. We'll be back next week with more food stories and cooking questions. Thanks for listening and wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving. Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Radio is produced by Milk Street in association with GBH. Co-founder, Melissa Baldino. Executive producer, Annie Sinsabaugh. Senior editor, Melissa Allison. Producer, Sarah Clapp. Assistant producer, Caroline Davis, with production help from Debbie Paddock. Additional editing by Sydney Lewis. Audio mixing by Jay Allison at Atlantic Public Media in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Theme music by Chewbop Crew. Additional music by George Brindle Egloff. Christopher Kimball's Milk Street Radio is distributed by PRX. PRX.